today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. some of the plagues and some of the things that have gone through, uh, you know, our cultures, you know, I mean, I got Ebola in Texas now. Are you kidding me? That's how quick things can change, by the way. We think that we live in a relatively safe and sanitary society. We all use antibacterial soap and we all almost bathe in stuff so that we can stay all healthy. We all take our stack of vitamins every morning so that we can live like almost forever and be strong and everything. But you know what? It doesn't take but that for our world to be turned inside out, upside down. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just saying this is the reality. There's nothing that you can do, really and truly. Revelation talks about plagues that will kill off huge amounts of people. Pastor David is reminding us that there are already deadly diseases around right now. We can do everything in our power to attempt to stay healthy. But when it's our time, it's our time. No amount of healthy living will keep us from dying. Yes, we should take care of our temples that the Lord has given us, but we need to be wise about our own mortality. Thankfully, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 15 with today's edition of The Open Word. see that it's compared, that it's around the throne of God, around the throne of God Almighty. We read how John first saw it back in chapter 4, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 4. John says, when he was immediately, I was in the spirit, and behold, the throne or a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And then he goes on in that same chapter, and he even speaks of this sea of glass, and he also speaks of a fire. In verse 5, he says, there were seven lamps of fire which were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So again, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on, he says, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. I think it's probably, again, just another vision of something very similar. That throne room, that sea of glass, this is where all of these things are going to be coming out of. He goes on in here in chapter 15, in verse 2, he says that with that sea of glass, with the fire, he says, and those that have the victory over the beast over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on that sea of glass, having harps of God. These are the ones that hadn't taken the mark of the beast. They hadn't worshipped him. Therefore, they were martyred. That's what was going on during that time. If they didn't take the mark, they were martyred. They lost their lives. And so as their lives were taken, we also see these earlier on. We first caught a glimpse of them actually back in chapter 7. 
And in chapter 7, in verse 9 of chapter 7, he says that there was this great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then a little bit later, still in that seventh chapter, an angel explains to John who these are. In verse 14, the angel tells John, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So we know that these are martyred saints. He says they've washed their robes, they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So just as we see back in chapter 7, they're singing. So here in chapter 15, they continue to sing. But here I love the song that they sing. They, they sing a special song. In verse 3, it tells us, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, let me stop right there. Alan and I, we, we discuss and talk all the time about worship and the singing and the congregation, and I'll just be real honest with you right now. I know that there's some Sundays or some Saturdays or some Wednesdays. You guys, man, you're just singing, and it just... It's awesome to hear the congregation sing. And then there's other times it's kind of like, hello, is anybody there? Is anybody there? Anybody come today? And you wonder, I love it to hear a congregation singing. Guys, I don't know how the ladies are because I don't go to the women's retreat. But guys, I know when we go to the guys' retreat and you get 300 guys in that room and they're singing, ladies, the guys actually sing when they all get together. They might not sing when we're here, but they actually sing when we're all together. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. And when a congregation comes together in a song, granted, it's a familiar song, easy to sing right in your key. The congregation is singing and going out. You know what? I know, according to God's word, that that pleases God. That pleases God. The word says that our God inhabits the praises of his people. And when his people gather together and praise and worship him, man, that brings joy to our Lord and to our Savior. Well, these, these are ones that, face it, their life was a whole lot worse than your life and mine up to this point. They've been martyred. We've heard and seen stuff going on in the Middle East, people that are getting slaughtered, heads that are being cut off, all kinds of just grossness. I think that's just a small little glimpse of what it's going to be like in the tribulation for all those who will not take the mark of the beast. We think that it's bad over in the Middle East, but when it becomes, in essence, worldwide, take the mark of the beast or off with your head. Worse than that, if you don't take the mark of the beast, it's going to be off with your wife's head or your children's head or your husband's, those kinds of things that are going to go on. These guys, that's where they come from, and they're singing, and they're worshiping, and they're praising the Lord in the midst of that. We find it hard to praise the Lord when we have a tough day, don't we? You know, it's kind of, oh, yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, it's a really bad day, but, you know, thank you. Okay, we'll see how tomorrow works. Okay. He says, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. 
Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. I believe that they sang a powerful, powerful song, declaring again the testimony of their lives and the full purpose of God's eternal plan a plan that God brought together in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. They said it was the hope of Moses and it was the fulfillment of Christ. The Old Testament, the Scripture, the Lord God Almighty is what they called him. Bob Utley, a commentator, reminds us that this title, Lord God Almighty, it's an allusion to the three most used Old Testament titles for God. When they say Lord, it refers to Yahweh, Jehovah. With that understanding, that meaning that he is the Savior, the Redeemer, he's the covenant God. And then he says Lord God. The word God comes from the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim, which is our understanding of who the creator was, who our provider was, who our sustainer of all the life on the earth. And then Lord God Almighty, Almighty again in the Hebrew El Shaddai. And that was the patriarchal name of God that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob spoke, Almighty, El Shaddai. So their song speaks of, again, that Old Testament promises of God. But it also speaks of the New Testament, that king of the saints. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is either directly referred to as king, or through the use of some of his parables, he even speaks of himself along the line of the parable as the king. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the King of the saints, all of those who have called upon him for salvation are the saints. You realize that, right? Don't you, church? You realize that you're sitting right next to a saint tonight. A saint is one who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are called saints. How many of you act like a saint all the time? Aren't you glad for redemption, grace, and mercy? Amen? Amen. Finally, we hear their song speaking of that completed plan of God. They say, all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. The Apostle Paul refers to this end time scenario in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Very familiar verse probably to many of you. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, he says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, speaking of Christ, has highly exalted Christ and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's not happening yet, but it's going to. Some are going to be declaring that because we declare it because he is our Lord, he is our Savior. Others are going to be declaring it under duress. They're going to finally realize he is God, he is Lord, he is Savior, but he's not mine. Because during their life, they never made that commitment of their life to him. And you see the mercy and the patience and the long-suffering of God still lingers, still waits, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. John's vision continues on here in verse 5. He says, now after these things, I look now, and again, 
Is this chronological or just the fact that he saw one thing and then he saw another? After these things, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with these golden bands. Okay, I believe that this is in conjunction with the beginning of this chapter when he says, you know, and I saw this other sign in heaven, great and marvelous, these seven angels having the seven plagues, for in them was the wrath of God was complete. I think that all of this is kind of happening all at the same time. You've got the martyrs there on the sea of glass, and they're worshiping, and they're praising God, and at the same time, the temple is opened up, and out come these seven angels with these bowls of wrath. He talks about the fact of the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. And that's just another way of of speaking or speaking about the heavenly temple. You realize that the tabernacle that was built during the wilderness experience, the temple that was built during Solomon's days, they were only replicas of the heavenly temple. And the word tells us that they were just, in essence, a poor example, a human example, a physical example of what spiritually God has before us. And again, the understanding is is that these angels, with their terrible plagues, they're coming from the very presence of Almighty God. They're coming out of the temple, and that's the thought, that's the mindset that's there. And so since they're coming from the temple, they're coming with His direction and for His purposes. It is God, Almighty God, who is calling for these angels to pour out these bowls of wrath on the remaining humanity that's on the world. Now, you've got to get that in your head, and too many people say, oh, but God is a God of love. God is a God of love. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But God is also a God of justice and a God of righteousness and a God of holiness in his judgment. You see, good or grace and mercy would be of absolutely no value if there was not also judgment and justice and holiness. Why do we need grace and mercy if there's no judgment? Well, God extends grace and mercy and love because there is judgment, because there is that reality that those who turn away from him, those that deny him, will face his wrath. And so here they come at his direction, for his purposes, they come out and they're met by one of the four living creatures. Verse 7 says, Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. That's full of the wrath of God. And when John is saying, man, this is where the wrath of God is going to be complete. This is the end of it, okay? This is the end of it, and it's going to be poured out. Verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So here's this season of time. We don't know how long. But in essence, the temple is going to be closed until the seven plagues of these seven angels were completed. I looked at that, and I didn't find a whole lot about that. But as I was praying and looking at this thing, it kind of came to me that a possible interpretation of that is is that within the temple of the tabernacle was, again, that Ark of the Covenant. And 
what covered the Ark of the Covenant? What was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, church? Pardon? The mercy seat. Exactly. The mercy seat. Perhaps what's being described here is that suspension of the mercy of God. As the fullness of his wrath is being poured out on rebellious man, they no longer have a chance to say, okay, okay, I give, I give. No, that's done. That's done. You've had opportunity and opportunity and opportunity to repent. Now the wrath of God is pouring out. It will be the outpouring of the full wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So the final end of opportunity, it's come, it's now passed. And so now we move on into chapter 16. Verse 1, John continues, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So one by one, these angels begin pouring out their bowls of wrath upon the earth. We see in verse 2, So the first went, poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the, what? The mark of the beast, and on those who worshipped his image. So the mark of the beast was the only thing previously that they felt was going to keep them alive. If I don't take the mark of the beast, I'm, I'm going to be killed. Sure, I'll take the mark of the beast. They cared nothing about God. I'll take the mark of the beast, then I can buy, I can sell, I can live, I can continue on in whatever degradation my life and perversion my life is. I can continue on that way. I'll take the mark of the beast. Mankind bowed down to worship the beast and to receive his mark in order that they might continue on in their sin. Now those with the mark, they had a completely different attitude, they had a completely different passion and focus than the ones who had been martyred. Because the ones who had been martyred, the word says they did not love their lives, even to death. So those who took the mark of the beast, in order that they might get some temporary comfort, now they're plagued with these foul and loathsome sores. We don't know what it is. Could it be, you know, we look at some of the plagues and some of the things that have gone through, uh, you know, our cultures, you know, I mean, I got Ebola in Texas now. Are you kidding me? That's how quick things can change, by the way. We think that we live in a relatively safe and sanitary society. We all use antibacterial soap and we all almost bathe in stuff so that we can stay all healthy. We all take our stack of vitamins every morning so that we can live like almost forever and be strong and everything. But you know what? It doesn't take but that for our world to be turned inside out, upside down. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just saying this is the reality. There's nothing that you can do, really and truly. I mean, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Behave. Don't do foolish things. But God knows the number of your days. Amen? Amen. I just want to, you know, the number that he's given me, I just want to live them as healthy as I can while I'm here. But things can change really quick. And for those that took the mark of the beast, they now have these foul and loathsome sores. Let's move on. Verse 3. The second angel now poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Now that is environmental catastrophe. That is like, 
That's, that's like overwhelming. Now, back in chapter 8 at the second trumpet. Now, this is the second bowl. But back in chapter 8, the second trumpet sounded. And it says in verse 8 of chapter 8, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. But here, the plague is much worse. It says, how much of the sea is affected here? All of the sea. How many of the living creatures? Every living creature in the sea died. Have you ever seen or heard of uh, red algae? Red algae, sometimes they call it a red tide, but science says, no, it's not the tide, it just suddenly comes again. What red tide does, it lets out this toxin that paralyzes the central nervous system of fish, and they can't breathe. They end up suffocating to death. And so really and truly, it can kill all kinds of various aquatic life, marine and coastal fish, uh, birds, and other organisms. That red algae stuff can do that. When I read this, the sea became red like blood, and I started thinking about that red algae, and that happens. And you know the really weird thing? They know what it is. They just don't know how it comes about or how to get rid of it. They have to, in essence, kind of wait for it to go away. Just another little snapshot, I think, that God is giving us of how fragile life is and how quickly it can change. The death and the environmental disaster, I don't think that we can even begin to calculate on something like that. When the whole sea is turned red with blood and every creature that's in the sea dies. Verse 4, then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Verse 7, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. I wondered about this for a while as I read this. Why, after this third plague, after it's been poured out on man, do these angels suddenly start making these proclamations about the righteousness of God and the righteousness of his judgments? They're saying, in essence, you're righteous, O Lord. You've judged these things. They were the ones that shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. You've given them blood to drink, for it's their just due. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Let me ask you this, church. Does God need to be justified? No, he is God. He can do anything that he wants to do because he is God. We look and we say, well, according to your word, we know this is how you move. And God, again, is faithful to his word. But he is God. And borrowing from the words of that great theologian, Bill Cosby, (laughs) he brought us into this world and he can take us out. It's his world. We are his creation. God doesn't need to be justified. But you know what? Man needs to understand very clearly why this judgment is coming upon him. God's judgments are righteous. God's judgments are true.
We've come to the end of our time together for today. But if you're not ready to be done yet, you can find additional messages from The Open Word. Pastor David is here to share how you can continue listening. Hey, thanks, Chris. We love getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible. All the teachings you hear on The Open Word have been preserved on our website. You're welcome to access them. Visit theopenword.com to listen to or download the messages God has supplied from His Word. That website again is theopenword.com or you can search for The Open Word Podcast on iTunes and subscribe for free. I'd like to encourage you to take these messages with you on the go. You never know when you'll have a moment of peace in your day, so why not fill it with God's Word? I hope you continue to study the Bible and that it continues to bless you and fill you with His joy. Thanks, Pastor David. We're so glad these resources are available to us whenever we want them. The book of Revelation is so often shrouded in mystery with its outlandish pictures of winged creatures by the throne of God and roaming the earth. As we continue to study, though, we'll be able to discern how these pictures all point to the one spotless lamb who conquered all through laying down his life. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, the lamb, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd love to share the greatest story with you, the one where God came down to earth to join in a relationship with us. That's all for today, but join us next time right here on The Open Word.